Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumble.org. If you've got a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to the book of Galatians. Galatians. And if you're joining us online, we're, we're glad to have you with us here on this cold morning. Uh, Galatians chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And we'll get there in just a moment. By the way, if you have your scripture journal, this would be a great time to get that out. Uh, Take notes, uh, maybe something um, that uh, the Spirit says to you while we're working our way through Galatians might be of help to you just to jot that down and to think about it later on in your week. One of the greatest uh, joys that I have as your pastor over the past uh, nine plus years I've been here is to, to walk with you through the first steps of your faith journey. Uh, some of you, um, it's been from the very beginning, right, to where you're beginning to take next steps in understanding who Jesus is and who you are as a sinner apart from his grace. And then to be able to share uh, with you in that discovery that, hey, I need Christ in my life. I, I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And you cross over that line of faith. And then we begin to talk to you about that next step of, of baptism, of, of publicly professing your faith in Jesus and in writing up your story and kind of coaching you as you prepare for that day. And I know that that experience, some of you have walked through that and you look back on that with, with joy at what God has done in your life and you also look back on that and thank God that you don't have to get up there and do it again because that was traumatic or that was a little nerve-wracking, a little intimidating, right? Uh, getting in front of others and just wondering how am I being perceived? I'm kind of laying myself out there and how will they accept that? And yet you press through because you want to follow Jesus. You want to follow Jesus. In our text today, we're going to see Paul, the Apostle Paul. He's sharing his story. He's sharing his faith story. But it's, it's 15 years after he had, had come to faith in Jesus Christ, when God saved him. And in that time, he's grown. He has matured. He's had time to reflect on what God has done in his life. And he doesn't care what people think doesn't really care about how people are perceiving him. He's not sharing his story to impress anyone or even to inspire anyone. No, he's, he's sharing his story to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's sharing his story to declare God's amazing grace, to exalt in the gospel. Paul cares deeply about the gospel of God's amazing grace and God's glory in salvation. He cares deeply about Jesus changing lives for eternity, and so do I. Jesus changes lives by his amazing grace, and he can do that for you today. And so with that in mind, let's take a look at Galatians chapter one, uh, verses 10 to 24. This is the word of God. Paul writes, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. 
For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. And I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. And so last week we started this series in the book of Galatians and we saw these false teachers emerge. These were Judaizers who were trying to convince, trying to insist that God's people needed to add on to the gospel in order for God to be pleased with them. They not only had to believe in Jesus, they had to become a Jew. They had to obey these certain rules and these requirements like circumcision and these certain days they had to, to celebrate and honor. And so these false teachers and Judaizers were adding to the gospel, and Paul refutes that. When you add to the gospel, you lose the gospel. They were also accusing Paul that, hey, Paul, your gospel is from man. It's, it's so watered down. I mean, you're kind of trimming down the requirements of the gospel. You're, you're just rather soft, Paul. You're making it easy on everybody, talking about grace. Just, you're so, you're so grace-oriented. You've forgotten the Jewish culture, Paul. This is, not, this is not a gospel from God. This is a gospel from man. So Paul is, is defending himself here. By the way, they're also wanting to say to Paul that, hey, you're, you're just doing this to please other people, right? That, that's why you're watering this down. And as we're going to see, if Paul wanted to please people, he would have stayed a Jew. Everyone was praising him as he was rising in prominence as this Jewish Pharisee. And so for Paul, he wanted to argue this point and we're going to look at this just, just briefly, but you can see down in verses 16 and 17 where he says in the second part of verse 16, when, when he received this gospel, when he received Christ, he didn't immediately go and consult with anyone. Verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. What he's trying to say there is this. like They were trying to accuse Paul, hey, your gospel is different from the apostles. These were the the big boys, and you're just, you're just Paul. You know, his name even meant small. Paul, you don't know what you're talking about. And Paul said, no, when I received this revelation from Jesus Christ directly from him on the road to Damascus, I didn't need to go up to Jerusalem. 
I didn't need to validate my message with all the apostles. In fact, my message lined up with theirs. And I actually went away from them for three years to Arabia. We don't know exactly what happened there. He may have been preaching the gospel there. This may have been a time of just silence and preparation for his ministry as a, as a preacher of the gospel. We're not sure. And yet what we do know is he didn't need to validate his message by going up to Jerusalem. Later on, he did visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remain there for 15 days, would have loved to hear that conversation between Peter and Paul. But he didn't need to validate his message. He was going there for, for unity, not for validation. And so what Paul here is arguing for, the main point that he's getting at, is that this gospel is not of human origin. This is of God's revelation. It's not human origin, this is God's revelation. This is a supernatural gospel. This gospel comes from God. That's the main point that he's wanting to make. And notice how he's supporting that, how he's arguing for that, how he's giving proof for that. In verses 13 through 24, he shares his own life story. So this, this is incredible because Paul, if you know him, he's an intellectual giant. Like if anyone could argue logic, it would be Paul. He would be persuasive in his words, but instead he chooses to say, Hey, look, look at my life. This gospel is not from man. It comes from God himself. So let me read verses 11 and 12 just to, to kind of pound home this main point and then show how he's supporting that point in the following subsequent verses. So verses 11 and 12, he says, For I would have you know, I want you to know, brothers, I want to make this certain, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Verse 12, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And now here he pauses, and he's going to give proof of that, that this gospel is from God by sharing his own personal testimony. Now we can learn a lot from Paul about his story and about how he tells his story. Remember, he is an older Christian now, looking back on his, his faith story and how God uh, came into his life, and we can learn a lot about how he goes about telling it. He tells it in three parts, all right? We could look at it this way. Uh, he starts with my life before Jesus, my life before Jesus, and then when Jesus called me, and then finally, how Jesus changed me. That's the story of Paul's life. My life before Jesus, when Jesus called me to himself, and then how Jesus changed my life forever. More or less, our stories follow that same pattern as we're going to see. So let's begin with verse 13 and 14, looking at Paul's life before Jesus. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So he tells of his former life. He was a Jew. And notice he was persecuting the church of God violently. He was filled with hate toward Christians. In the book of Acts, we see this recorded. In Acts chapter 7, you don't have to go there, but we see this man named Stephen who was full of the Holy Spirit. 
And he began to witness to this Messiah that had come. And he starts with the Old Testament, just walks through Genesis and Exodus and begins to declare that this Messiah has come and he calls out the people for being stubborn and stiff-necked that they wouldn't turn to this Messiah. What was the reaction of the crowd? Well, they begin to stone Stephen. Imagine this, picking up stones and throwing them right at him and he's crushed to death. In those last moments before he dies, he's asking that God would forgive these people, much like the Savior did for us on the cross. So, so just imagine the scene, like being brutally like stoned to death, and he's looking up, Stephen is, and seeing Christ in glory. And in that moment, it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul, that's Paul, approved of his execution. So Saul, before he was converted, was approving of this. Yeah, he's getting what he deserves. Telling of this false Messiah, let's stone him to death. We see in the next chapter, in Acts chapter 9, it says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This was Paul pre-Jesus, his former life. Notice, this was not passive indifference. This was active rebellion. And sometimes we think, well, how can I identify with Paul? I mean, my life before Jesus, I've always been a good person. Be careful. If, if, that's, if that's the way your story begins, you have yet to see your story biblically. None of us were passive, indifferent toward Jesus. All of us, in our hearts, were in active rebellion against God. It says in Romans 8 that our hearts were hostile to God. We weren't indifferent. We weren't good little boys and good little girls and just grew up, you know, always being nice. We wanted to be in charge of our own lives. We wanted to call the shots. And even our desire to be good people, what was that motivated by? I want other people to notice me. I want to be able to compare myself to others and say, look at me compared to you. Look at how my life is much better than yours. Our hearts were actively against God, against Jesus. That was our former life. Some of you can identify more so with this next verse, though, in verse 14, where Paul says, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So notice what he's saying here is that, hey, I was, I was like the cream of the crop, right? Like, I, I was the rising star in, in Judaism, Nobody could match me when it came to the way that I was obeying all the rules. Like I was the righteous rule keeper. In, in Philippians chapter three, he tells of this experience to the church at Philippi where he writes, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So he's telling these 
these believers at Philippi, if, if you want to go there and play that game of trying to find your righteousness through the law, I'll beat you at that game. It won't even be close. <laughs> I was morally blameless. I was doing everything the law required and more. So, so don't try to play that game. If you play that game, you will lose, by the way. Don't play that game with God where you think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. You know what? I can, I can live this Christian life. I, I can have this self-improvement project in me, and I can be a good person. I, can, I, I, can, I think I can do that. After all, I've got a positive personality. Come on, bring it on, right? After a while, we live that way. If we're honest with ourselves, we're exhausted. Little teachable moment with my daughter, my sweet daughter Harper. She brought home this library book this last week, and here it is. Maybe you've you've read it, kids, or you've seen this. Alexander, who's trying his best to be the best boy ever. Like this was like the the next book after the Alexander in the most horrible day. Do you remember that one? All right. So so this one I had never read this one before. So I was reading along with Harper and. The story, if I could summarize, uh, this kid, he, uh, he starts off and you see him eating this box of donuts by himself on his bed, and he's, he's doing it kind of like undercover, and he eats all the donuts only to find himself really, really sick the next day. Can you imagine a whole box of donuts? I can't even eat one donut without getting sick now. That's, that's crazy, because um, I still like donuts. But anyway, so this, this kid eats all these donuts, he's sick, and he gets in trouble for it, and so he decides, hey, I am going to set off to be the best boy ever. He tells his dad this, his dad looks at him and says, how about we try for a week, all right? Because he's, he's wanting to do this for, forever, for his entire life, and see how it goes. So he, he does, like he, he goes to school and he's like raising his hand really nice and answering all the questions like um, at recess when, when typically he's not always the nicest kid, he's really being nice to everybody, he's trying really hard at home, you know, he's got brothers and sisters and they're being crazy, he wants to say something but he's trying to be really nice and by the end of the week, like he's, he's leaking out all these thoughts of, I don't like this, I don't like that I have to be nice you know what, I don't like my brother and sister, and I want to tell them this. And, and so he finds, like, this is, this is impossible. I, I can't be the very best boy ever. And the story actually ends on a tragic note of him eating another box of donuts. <laughs> and so I'm looking at my daughter, Harper, and it was like, God was like, here you go. Galatians. That's the law. It tells us, Go ahead and be the best you can be. Try to live up to it. Try to be the best person you can be. Go ahead and try that life and see how it works for you. You will be exhausted and your thoughts will betray you, right? All throughout the week, you're like trying to be nice, trying to be good, trying. but inside you know better. Like you know how sinful you are in your heart, right? You can't do that. You can't live that way. I was telling my daughter Harper, that's why Jesus came. <laughs> He was the best boy ever. He always obeyed every time. And he never sinned once. And that's why he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And if we trust in him and admit that we're sinners, man, we can have a new life in Jesus. So, so Paul, his, his former life was marked by persecuting the church, advancing in this righteous rule keeping. That's where he was when Jesus called him to himself. Look at verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born 
and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. Notice how verse 15 starts. But that is a beautiful word in scripture. It's a turning point. It's a interruption, an invasion in Paul's life. But there's an author, uh, Greg Gilbert, he wrote, uh, What is the Gospel? Some of you guys have read that book. He writes this about the little word, but. I think that must be the most powerful word a human being can speak. It's small, but it has the power to sweep away everything that has gone before it. It has the power to lift the eyes and restore hope. More than any other word that can be spoken by a human tongue, it has the ability to change everything. For example, the plane went down, but no one was hurt. You have cancer, but it is easily treatable. Your son was in a car wreck, but he's fine. Now, we don't always get that but in our lives, but when it comes to the gospel, we certainly do. Paul mentions this in Titus chapter 3 when he writes, for we ourselves were once foolish. He's including himself here in this. We were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And so we see this beautiful interruption in Paul's life, but, and notice what he says next, when he who had set me apart before I was born, who talks like that when they share their story? He set me apart before I was born. So here's, here's what he's saying. Before I was even in my mother's womb, God chose me, God loved me, God wanted me. This is the doctrine of unconditional election, somewhat controversial, and yet very biblical. We see it here in Paul's life. Before he could lift a finger for God, God had already set his love and affection upon this man. It's an amazing love. we celebrating Valentine's Day today. Guys, you still have a little, little time, not much left. Um, but I thought about this, I, I think I shared this a long time ago, but I'm going to share it with you guys again. So some of you know, when we moved in nine years ago, it was a December day, and it was cold, not this cold, <laughs> and it was snowy, and so there was a group of you that came and helped us move in, and um, I just remember somebody yelling down from the basement that I needed to come quickly, only to find that our basement had an, an inch deep of water in it. Can you imagine moving in and that was the first thing that happened? Evidently, um, someone had left the window open by the laundry unit and um, the pipe broke and water just everywhere. And so thankful for people who were willing to help and stay and, and help with all that mess. But um, through, through the process of, of trying to, to, to get to that pipe and all of that, we had to break apart and get into the the, the wall there, and as I was doing that, um, I found something that first looked like a baseball card, and I thought, what is that? And, and instead, this is what I found. 
And you can see the picture right up here. I brought it with me. So it's a valentine, a very old valentine. Uh, the post stamp on the back says 19.0, and then you can't read the rest. Isn't that incredible? Because our house is like 120 years old. So this valentine is ancient. And so let me, let me read this to you, the oldest valentine you've probably ever seen. It's not what you would expect. Hello, Susie. How are you? I'm fine. What's the matter with Dick? Is he dead? <laughs> Postcard. Uh, Luella's got your letter. Tell the girls this is the only card I had. <laughs> I will send them one later from Harry. So there you are. Harry to Susie, wondering about Dick. Um, <laughs> but uh, needless to say, like this, I wish this was like a, uh, like a Honus Wagner 1906, you know, $2 million that I pulled out of there. But, um, but it points us to something that's more valuable. I know it's kind of a stretch illustration here, but work with me, okay? Like uh, the oldest Valentine you could ever conceive of uh, points us to like the oldest love in the universe is God's love for you before the foundation of the world. In, in Ephesians 1.4, uh, Paul says that. He says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, he predestined us in love. So that's incredible that he loved you before he even made the universe. Like if you're his today, a believer in Jesus Christ, he has set his love upon you and he has had his love set on you for eternity past. Like incredible. So Paul is reflecting on that when he thinks of his story. He's like, God loved me and chose me before I was even born. This next phrase, he says, and who called me by his grace, who called me by his grace. Now, this is incredible. This, this is, def is, is a definitive moment in time. So even though God sets his love upon us before the foundation of the world, before we're even born, if we're Christians, there is a definitive moment when he saves us by his grace. Now, here's what I want to share with you, because some of you might be out there thinking, well, I don't have a Damascus Road moment. Like, I don't have like a clear right then and there. So you might think, well, my faith has kind of been a progression. Be, be careful how you communicate that, okay? Your, your story might have been a progression leading up to your salvation, but when you're saved, that happened at a moment in time. You may not know exactly when that was. A lot of events, a lot of people, a lot of circumstances led up to that moment, but when God saves you, he calls you to himself. Think of it this way, like I... Uh, I don't know if you can identify with this, parents, especially if you have young kids. Um, my kids are getting older, but they still struggle with this. When you call your kids to the dinner table, do they come right away? I'm hearing some, I'm hearing some, nah, nope, looking at your kids like, yeah. It usually takes another couple of times, or even like having to go to them and say, we're eating, all right? <laughs> we're going to eat now. Um, that's not like God's call. Right? It's not like, hey, whenever you have... It's convenient for you. Come on, then you can come to me and believe in me. No, 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 no. 
If God wants you and God calls you, it is an effectual calling. It's Lazarus, come forth. And immediately you come to him. Like your eyes are open. I see Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. He died for me on the cross. I know I'm a sinner and I need him in my life. And I trust him and I believe in him. There may have been other things that have led up to that, but you've got to know that when God saves you, he calls you and you become his. That's what happened in Paul's life. This is the effectual call of God. This is the irresistible grace of God. It's like it beckons us to him. We don't want anything else but him. We we can't be satisfied with anything else. We need Christ. And that's God's work in us. We can't conjure that up on our own. We can't just be, you know, one day thinking, maybe I will decide to follow Jesus God does this in us by his sovereign grace, just like he did for the apostle Paul. And so we think about his story in Acts chapter 9, where it's recorded for us and how he came on that Damascus road. In Acts 9, it says, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. And so Jesus met him decisively on that road, revealed himself to Paul, and Paul went and trusted Christ. If some of you still have a hard time kind of thinking through your story in that way, maybe you can identify more with Lydia in Acts chapter 16. Listen to this. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. So she was, as, as, a, as a Jew, she was worshiping, but she didn't know the full story. And it says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Notice what happened to her. The Lord did something, opened up her heart. This is called regeneration. Gives you a new heart, and now you are paying attention to spiritual things. Like, the the light bulb's gone off. Like, I didn't get that before, but now I understand that that's why Jesus came, and he came for me. And maybe he's doing that even now. The light bulb's turning on. I need Christ in my life. The Lord's opening up your heart to pay attention and to follow Jesus. However it happens, in John 6, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So when you think about your story, can you see how Jesus was drawing you? Can you see how he was putting people in your life? Can you see how he was putting the word of God before your eyes? Can you see how he's using events in your life to get your attention? He's pursuing you. He's pursuing you. He's drawing you to himself. That's what happened in Paul's life. Now, as a result of that, how did his life change? In verse 23, we read these words. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. (laughs) I think this is just incredible, right? Um, Verse 23, used to, is now. This is my pastoral concern, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually really concerned about this. Do you have a used to is now story, 
or is it used to and continue to? Does that mark your story? I'm not saying that your life is, is perfect when you become a Christian. I'm not saying you're going to slide back and fall at times. But there ought to be a transformation that happens in your life. You can't say, well, yeah, 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 I believe in Jesus. I made that profession of faith in Jesus. I was even baptized. But if someone were to look at your life honestly, like, and you're in a community where everybody sees you, right? <laughs> I'm reminded of that every time I step into the door of Hy-Vee. I, I, I just know that, that people notice. They see you. Did they see a new you? Like, are you just, yeah, that was it, me, and, and yeah, that's still me transformation, change. God does that work in our hearts. Paul was persecuting, now he's preaching. Paul was a man filled with hate, now he's filled with love. He was a man full of himself and prideful, now he is so humble and serving others. Can people see a difference in what Jesus has done in your life? And notice what they said about him in verse 24. And they glorified God because of me. And that's, that's, that's what I want in my life. Do you want that? Like, when people look at your life, it's not like, oh, they're so impressed with you, but they can see how God has worked in your life. Like, the only way that that could happen, that that, that kind of transformation could be possible, is by the grace of Jesus. And they're giving glory to God because of your changed life. Like, and one of the things that brings me great joy as your pastor is to see you um, not only trust in Jesus, but to see you take steps to follow Jesus. And and your life is growing in Jesus. New hungers, right? And new desires. And, you know, you are, um, you had this marriage, and now, by God's grace, your marriage is growing, you know? You were struggling with that sin and and that temptation, and now we're seeing progress here. We're, we're, We're seeing change, and that's the work of God's grace, and he gets all the glory for that. Paul's story was not to inspire, not to impress. It was to say, this gospel is from God. Don't you see how it changed me? This was a revelation from God. And I want you to know that it can change your life too. So Paul's message is one of amazing grace in his life. Amazing grace. It's our stories and why we have them. Your story is not your story. You know that. That's, that's God's story. The story for his glory. You steward that story and share that story with others as a means of striking up conversation and building bridges to Jesus. I haven't found necessarily a better way than to speak out of my own experience. It doesn't always have to be my faith story. It can be my struggles to identify with somebody else who's going through that same thing and say, you know what, Jesus, he helped me through this. Can I pray for you? We gotta be a people that recognizes we've been given a story. Though we may not identify perfectly with Paul, you have a story, a story of God's amazing grace. Let's share it for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and I praise you that when you look upon our lives, you pursue us in your love. You see us in our sin. You see us in patterns, even patterns where we're trying to be better and do it right. And, 
and we're stuck and we're exhausted and you, if you want to get out of that, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest for your soul. Are you um, struggling in sin and just wondering if you can get out? Come, come to me. I, I died for that sin. I was punished in your place. You can trust me. I can, I can take it. I've already done it. And Father, I pray that we would believe and trust in you and then follow you um, as changed people who have stories of amazing grace. God, thank you so much and help us to be unified around this truth that you have come to save us and to set us free. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.